You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Stephen Smith, who is the head of protocol at Tools for Humanity, to take a closer look at the Worldcoin protocol. Worldcoin is a blockchain-based protocol that seeks to become the world's largest digital identity and financial network to provide every human a universal access to the global economy. With that, Stephen, a very warm welcome to the show from both Nikhil and myself. Well, th- thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. So, uh, to start off, could you tell our audience about your background and walk us through your journey a little bit? Yeah, so I'm a kind of a, a career uh, computer science person. I've worked at um, a number of you know ultra large tech companies. Spent time at Salesforce and Cisco. Uh, been involved with you know a few different startups, medium sized companies. Um, my kind of most you know immediate background prior to joining uh, Tools for Humanity, I was at the Electric Coin Company, which is the primary developer of the Zcash cryptocurrency. And over at the Electric Coin Company, I ran the engineering function as well as the product management function. Zcash, you may be familiar with. Uh, it's you know kind of a call it a private version of Bitcoin if you're if you're not familiar with it. Um, Zcash was the first project to launch. Uh, zero knowledge proofs in production, sure. uh, at production scale, and then uh, then I joined Tools for Humanity about a year ago now. And over at Tools for Humanity, uh, my title is head of protocol. Protocol at Tools for Humanity and the Worldcoin project kind of includes you know all the cryptography, blockchain related software components, smart contracts, and things along those lines. I also work on a few different cross-team initiatives uh, around privacy, for example. I'm kind of point on on those type things. Thanks a lot for sharing your background, Stephen. And uh, before we kind of go into discussing the Worldcoin protocol and how decentralized identity works, uh, let's just take a top-level overview of what is Worldcoin and uh, what is the overall vision of the company. So from what I understand, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. Broadly speaking, we are preparing for a future where AI is going to take up a lot of the human jobs, which is going to create a massive concentration of wealth in the world. And so eventually, we as a society would need to transition to some form of universal basic income or UBI, as it is called. And so at that point, we would need an identity solution to make sure that the person that is getting paid is actually a human and not a machine. And so with WorldCoin, uh, you're creating a mechanism that does not store personally identifiable details like uh, your name, address, nationality, or anything of that sort. But it creates a unique code for every person to ensure that they're a unique human and not a machine. Uh, is that a sort of a fair description of you know what WorldCoin is looking to achieve? I, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of what you said is is definitely accurate. Um, you know, that's that's kind of um, a particular application. So if we if we kind of back up and look at what you know what Worldcoin uh, kind of the goal of the project, it's to create uh, the world's largest you know financial and identity network for you know very inclusive right for all humans regardless of country background or economic status. So that that's kind of a prerequisite to a lot of what you just described. Uh, you know around a wealth distribution around um, perhaps the uh, you know, aid uh, artificial intelligence, some of the value capture there, how that might be distributed back to other people. So, the the underpinnings of something like you described would be this financial and identity network um, for for all humans. But there's you know, kind of many other many other use cases, if you will. Um, you know, that could be um, you know along similar lines, like distribution of scarce resources. That may take the form of some. Um, you know, some airdrop, it could take the form of some, you know, some literal uh, physical resource uh, distribution in uh, associated with, let's say, hypothetically, like um, some sort of aid for um, areas that may have been stricken by 
some sort of you know natural disaster, for example. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of that fundamental capability of determining that a human is unique and that they have you know kind of performed an activity, um, whatever that might be, um, once. That could be uh, again, a, let's say a a monthly distribution of some resource. It could be some sort of online voting system where someone's allowed to vote once, um, for example. But the key to that is this uh, proof of personhood protocol that uniquely identifies, you know, someone as as human. Got it. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, before we jump into the proof of personhood protocol and how the actual, you know, the, the blockchain aspect of it works, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we can touch on, you know, why you chose uh, iris scan as, as the primary mechanism for uh, identification versus something like fingerprinting. I, I think I read on your website that it is more fraud resistant. So uh, for our audience, could you just maybe touch on it from a tech standpoint, you know, what that means? Yeah, I can. Um, I work primarily again in the protocol area, but I do work some with the the AI team um, uh, on the project. But it, but essentially, an iris image is a form of you know bio, biometrics, right? Um, like fingerprint or a palm print or facial recognition. And 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 one of the things that makes a biometric identifier work is how easy it is to distinguish you from from other people that may be in a particular set. So I'll start, you know, again, very basic and then kind of move into the iris specifically. You know, for, sure. so for example, my name is Stephen Smith. It's it's a fairly common name uh, in the U.S. But now, however, on this particular podcast, it, it absolutely uniquely identifies me, right? It would probably uniquely identify me in my neighborhood, but it definitely wouldn't uniquely identify me in the in the city that I live in. There would be many Stephen Smiths. Uh, most likely, uh, I assume. Um, and, and each of the biometric uh, identifiers that I mentioned, fingerprint, palm print, facial recognition, and iris, they all have something unique about them. I mean, clearly most people are familiar, you know, with the fingerprint and on all the different, you know, wavy patterns and swirls and things like that. And fingerprints have been used for years in different uh, different capacities. The reason we settled on the iris, which was it was kind of a process of elimination. So our goal was to uh, come up with a methodology where we could identify the uniqueness of an individual on a global scale, which means that it has to be, you know, a pretty feature rich or pretty capable methodology of doing that. Right. So, again, you couldn't use name fingerprints. We're going to get some collisions after a certain number of people. Same for palm, same for face. But there's a, you know, there's a, there's a thing in these different biometric identifiers. It's really randomness, if you want to think of it in, um, you know, kind of more common terms, like how random is the pattern, if you will. Um, we kind of call it entropy in, you know, internally or, you know, in cryptographic circles, if you will, it's referred to as entropy, which is kind of like the uniqueness, like what's unique about it and how unique is it from, you know, one person to the next, for example. So through the process of elimination, um, we we found that iris was the only biometric identifier that would give us enough entropy to be able to scale the the uh, proof of personhood protocol, you know, to the global scale. Got it. I think that that's a great explanation behind the choice of uh, taking the human iris, you know, for identification. Um, so I think one last aspect before we jump into you know discussing the protocol and the hardware. Uh, I think, I believe I read a report sometime at the beginning of this month that, uh, you know, WorldCoin has seen about 4 million downloads uh, and has like 1 million active users. Mm-hmm. Just to take a step back and look at the broader picture, right? Like when right. we look at the different kinds of internet or social media users out there today, mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty wide spectrum, right? So there's people who are very privacy conscious, you know, about any personal data that they share with any app or with any company. Right. Uh you know, they, they they would tend to use the most privacy-preserving messaging apps or they may even drop out of social media altogether. Uh, at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who really don't care about their personal data that much. You know, there's, there's multiple studies that have shown that Gen Z as a whole is, is probably the least privacy-conscious group, you know, whether it's taking a selfie with a stranger on the street or sharing their personal data for more personalized experience, you know, on different apps that they use. So I guess uh, 
we'd love to know what your experience has been so far, you know, in terms of uh, adoption from the people. Right. Yeah. So just, you know, great. Uh, it's great framing for the project. So the project started in 2019. Um, today we've, um, you know, about 2.4 million people, a little over actually, have gone through the process of, of verifying their unique humanness um, with the orb. Um, as you mentioned, the world app itself uh, now has over uh, 4 million downloads and a, and a million monthly active users who have collectively done around 22 million transactions. So we've, we've got quite a quite a load um, on the app. Now, you know, I'll also kind of just back up a little bit and talk about Tools for Humanity and the role in the project. So, sure. you know, Tools for Humanity is really the first uh, contributor to the WorldCoin, you know, project. So we launched it. Um, we, we clearly created the, the proof of personhood protocol. The, the uniqueness signal or the, the proof of personhood we call world ID. That's what you're able to use to prove you're a unique human in this set. Um, and then the world app is kind of the first application for the WorldCoin network. And then, so yeah, so there's world ID. So we have 2.4 million people who have an orb verified world ID and 4 million people have downloaded the app, which is, you know, by the way, not only where you manage your world ID, but it's also just a standard, you know, crypto wallet where if you can kind of hold assets if you, if you wanted to and, and chose to use it like that. The world app in particular was developed to really help around onboarding. And, you know, there's a term we use in, in not just at this project, but, you know, kind of throughout the, the whole blockchain crypto ecosystem called crypto native, like someone who kind of gets it and understands the concepts and they're somewhat fluent in the underpinning technologies. You know, they might really have a great working understanding of blockchain and things along those lines. But there's, you know, clearly the vast majority of people in the world don't have that, that particular background. So we wanted to build an app that was very easy for people to use. And in most cases, abstract away the fact that you're actually dealing with something called blockchain. It's just a very easy to use app, very intuitive. So, um, so just to, you know, kind of separate the components a little, we have the protocol, um, which is again, like all the cryptography, blockchain interface, smart contracts. Um, we have, uh, the, and, and the world app itself, which is again, the first wallet. We've also built an SDK, which allows developers to, to also, you know, build applications and integrate with this proof of personhood protocol. But yeah, so we've got some, you know, pretty impressive stats considering, you know, we, we've, uh, you know, it's a relatively young project in the sense of larger tech companies and, and longer tenures. Great. So uh, to now shift gears a little bit and maybe go into discussing how the WorldCoin system actually works, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there, there's multiple parts to this. You know, on the hardware side, you have the actual physical orb uh -huh. that you use to scan the iris. Right. Uh, on the network side, as you mentioned, you know, it's a blo blockchain protocol, which uses something called proof of personhood. Right. Uh, and on the customer facing side, like you mentioned, you know, you have the world app wallet and every customer gets a unique ID called world ID. Mm -hmm. uh, and also you use ZK proofs to ensure that the privacy of the person is protected. Right. So I think it would be good to discuss all of these different aspects. Maybe uh, we can start off with the blockchain protocol itself, you know, the consensus mechanism and the tokenomics mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you um, so the basics on the blockchain side. And then I'll actually, I think, I think explaining it kind of what I, it's what I call the sign up flow. Like, you know, a user downloads the app and goes to the orb and what happens then and kind of how it all works together, I think is, I think it's a pretty logical progression that people, at least in the conversations I've had are, are you know, they can, they can understand it uh, pretty logically at that point. Sure. You know, in terms of, you know, blockchain specific, uh, I will touch on this and I didn't mention earlier. Um, currently, the WorldCoin protocol runs on um, the identity, what I call the identity data set, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Is, is on Ethereum mainnet. So, you know, Ethereum L1. And then the world app, we bridge that uh, information, which I'll uh, go into a little deeper. And I don't want to throw around too much, too many, too much jargon in terms, but it's essentially state. So we, we bridge the identity data set over to, to other chains and rollups. So for example, we bridge that information over to the optimism, um, optimistic rollup. We bridge to Polygon. Um, we've got some other, um, integrations that we've worked on for hackathons where we'd bridge to base, for example, base is another rollup built on the OP stack framework. Um, so, but, but, and then world app itself is deployed, you know, arguably on, um, optimism just because it's a lower, 
a lower cost environment to operate in than, you know, as compared to Ethereum mainnet. So with that, you know, kind of background on what the blockchain stack looks like, let's back up to the, we'll kind of start with the orb, right? And, and how a user would get going. So obviously the, the prereq to everything is you, you download the, the world app. And when you do that, uh, a couple things happen. Um, there's two, you know, they're called key pairs in, um, well, cryptography in general has nothing to do really with, um, with blockchain at some level, but commonly referred to as like a private key, public key pair in, yeah. um, so in this cryptography. is your standard crypto wallet, right? Exactly. So there, there's two key pairs. One is the standard crypto wallet, just like, you know, any other, you know, crypto wallet that you, you might have where you have a public key that allows you to authorize a transaction. You know, you want to send someone, a family member or a friend, you, you want to send them a little bit of Bitcoin or a little bit of Ether or a little bit of, um, of Zcash, then you have the private key that allows you to authorize that transaction. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. the, the spend authority, if you will, in, in the crypto world. Right. And, and the second key pair is you could refer to it as the world ID key pair, right? So we generate for you uh, another public private key pair on the phone. So you then, you know, you go to the orb, um, which the orb's uh, role in this is to... So mm -hmm. if, I, if I may just quickly interject. Sure, sure. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, so this second key pair that you create, right, is that before the person goes and uh, uploads his biometrics or is that tied to the biometrics in some way? No, it's just generated, just generated on the phone. So it's just a standard uh, PK, yeah. uh, public key, private key. Okay, perfect. Okay, cool. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, you 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 go to the orb, and again, the the orb's role in all this is essentially, you know, a few things. One, uh, to make sure that you're, you know, that you're human and not a poodle, for example. Uh, to make sure that you're uh, an actual human and not a really great picture of a human. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's some checks for things of that nature. Um, but assuming, you know, you're not trying to, you know, slide something by and hold your, hold your pet up or something. Um, the, the orb takes, you know, obviously an image of your iris. Um, there's eight neural networks that run on the orb for various things, but one of them is to take your iris and produce what we call an iris code. Um, and I say we call it an Irish code. It's actually a concept that was pioneered to go to go a little deeper on the tech side. Um, pioneered by a gentleman named John Dogman, D-A-U-G-M-A-N, back, I believe, in 2009 was the paper. So it predates the Rollcon project by, you know, roughly 10 years. But essentially, an Irish code is a way to take an Irish image and create a digital representation of the unique uh, the uniqueness of that iris image. So it's, you know, kind of winds up being, you know, this long bit string, so to speak. Uh, so the, the orb creates this iris code. And then that's what we, of course, use to, you know, determine if someone is, um, is unique or not. So the, the orb has, uh, the iris code at this point. Um, part of the action the user takes at sign up is you create a QR code which essentially contains information on your public key, the world ID public key, not your wallet. The orb sends your public key and the iris code in a signed message to the back end to, to be compared to all the other, you know, humans in this identity set that we've seen in the past. There's a comparison of your iris code to the iris codes we've seen before. And then assuming you're a unique human, you're, you know, added to the on-chain identity set. Um, and I can talk, you know, I'll, I'll go in a little bit more detail on some of those pieces in a moment, but that that's kind of the high level. And as, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, this on-chain identity set is managed on the Ethereum, you know, Ethereum mainnet or Ethereum L1. Um, the the okay. interesting thing, if you're interested, go ahead. I, th I thought there was a question there. Yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, so uh, one of the questions I had was, you said you had nine uh, neural networks uh, working in the orb, and one of them basically is one that creates this uh, the code based the iris code. Mm -hmm. uh, the others, I assume, are mainly just to make sure or verify that, uh, like you said, the person uh, in front of the orb is really human and not animal or uh, robotic or whatever it is. Uh, it's not fraudulent uh, behavior, correct? 
That that's correct. Yeah, that's a great summary. Yeah, and okay, and that, you know, disclaimer aside, I'm I'm not on the AI team, but that's that's you know my understanding is that that's what those are, are used for. Right. So when you say that we send you send this particular combination of the QR code, which is the public key, the word public world ID, and the iris code, which kind of as a representation of okay, this is the sign up submission application uh, to the mainnet. Mm-hmm. Is that purely for compa- what happens uh, in terms of does it does it then go in and try to compare against all the existing data to see if there are any duplicates or is it uh, just purely for saving that okay this is now added to the data set? So the 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 orb communicates with for for lack of a better term it's literally called the orb backend <laughs> so. Um, and the Orb backend has a service called the Uniqueness Service. So the the Uniqueness Service is interested in the iris code. So that service would compare the iris code that just came from the Orb with all the other iris codes that we had seen previously. Um, now the interesting thing about iris codes is you could scan your iris, and then you could go to a little bit different setting where maybe it's not quite as uh, light. Maybe it's a little bit darker part of the room, for example. Your gaze could be a little bit um, to the left or to the right. And your iris code is going to be um, slightly different. So an iris code is not a, you know, just to clear something up. It's not a cryptographic hash. It is right. just a digital representation of the uniqueness of the iris. So to do the comparison, you know, we, we can't, simply go, you know, if iris code one equal iris code two, then there's a match. We use something, um, it's called a distance comparison. And specifically in this case, it's a Hamming, H-A-M-M-I-N-G. Yeah, you're using Hamming numbers. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. To see like how far, you know, how distant they are or how different they are from each other. So it's essentially, uh, you're comparing a couple of bit strings and you make a decision based on the, the number of bits that are different. Right. Um, but at any rate, let's assume the uniqueness service says that or, or determines that, that, you know, you are a new unique human, never been in front of an orb before, never had your iris scanned. The orb backend or, yeah, the uniqueness service uh, will, you know, kind of then pass along to the protocol this public, this world ID public key. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say, okay, this is a public key. We've been through the uniqueness check. This should be added to the on-chain identity set. And then the protocol uh, takes that, you know, quote, sign-up request to be added to the on-chain tree. And we do some really interesting things there. Um, And we can go into as much detail on that as you want. But essentially, it kind of works like a little bit like a a mini ZK roll-up. So we don't just take uh, we don't just take a sign up and immediately insert it. We will batch them. We'll come up with a batch of whatever the batch size needs to be. Um, perhaps uh, you know a hundred or a thousand, depending on how many we have at the moment. And we you know create a zero knowledge proof of that batch. You know the Merkle tree root uh, pre and post, and then the actual signups that occur, and then we insert it on chain. The net effect of all that is um, if if people aren't quite familiar. At that level of detail is that we we wind up inserting that identity on chain. So that's kind of how it winds up on chain. Uh, so so mm-hmm. when you say you've uh, so this is I just wanted to kind of make sure that I understand this properly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. So we are uh, we have this uh, or backend service or the uniqueness service, right? That does this uniqueness check based up to a. I mean, it uses a scoring mechanism to find out. Okay. Uh, this is really unique, uh, or this is re- uh, this is close enough, and then uh, it's mm-hmm. a new person or a duplicate. Uh, what happens to the iris code or the biometric data? Is it also uh, is it also transmitted to the uh, blockchain dataset, or is that compressed or uh, encrypted in some way? Uh, when you 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 mentioned that you're kind of doing a roll up. But that that kind of tells me that you're that's mostly for uh, efficiency, right? It's mostly for compressing mm-hmm. the data and making sure that your transactions on the mainnet uh, are happening uh, at the scale that you want it to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, it doesn't address the problem of uh, what is actually happening to the data itself. Right now, your your summary, by the way, of the the batching that we do is is spot on. I mean, it is literally for 
uh, gas efficiency, you know, in the Ethereum world. Um, so we, we subsidize all that cost. Like, it, you know, we don't, we don't ask a user in the world app to, you know, I know you've probably seen it in a regular crypto wallet, like, um, yeah, oh, this is, is going to cost you so costly. much to do, you approve it, right? So we, right. we subsidize and, and all that. And you're using the main net, which is costly, right? So Exactly, yeah. So, um, so yeah, your, your summary of that, the reason we do that is, is, uh, is total optimization. Um, the iris code does not go on chain. Um, so the iris code is considered a biometric template. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not go on chain. Again, it is not a cryptographic hash. Um, but it is stored in a, you know, a centralized database, you know, obviously. So we can do, you know, the next person that comes along, you know, now there's, uh, you know, a complete set of, of all the individuals we'd seen before. Right. The data is, uh, transmitted from the, uh, from the orb. So the, again, the data packet, you know, roughly is the Irish code, um, the world ID public key. Again, it's a signed message transmitted over TLS and then, um, you know, obviously encrypted at rest, you know, in, in the database, um, as well. But the, but the Irish code is, is quote, never sent to the, the, you know, that's kind of where the protocol picks up is once it's determined, this is a unique person. Correct. The public key is that the world ID public key is sent to the protocol, but not the, not the Irish code itself. Right. So, so as far as I understood it so far, you've got a distributed system in terms of your orbs are in distributed places and it's calling this distributed probably you know the orb backend or the uniqueness service Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not decentralized the decentralization actually happens afterwards once you've you figured out or once you've done the validation that you know this is a genuine unique new uh, person mm-hmm. uh, and and then from there onwards uh, the, then you say okay this particular world ID represents this person and then that particular thing is used as a token for the decentralized uh, protocol part of it right exactly so the you know once that once your you know world ID public key you know basically is on chain then it's kind of just you and and your you know your wallet and the blockchain at that point to to you know to quote verify with the world ID or prove that you're in a you know member of the set, you generate a zero knowledge proof on your mobile device that says you know essentially I know the private key to a public key in this this Merkle tree and you can generate a proof that proves that. So um, yeah, that's exactly where the decentralization pieces come into play here. So so here's a interesting thought, uh, and and I'm sure this is much must be something that happens. You must have uh, experienced this. You know, people are people, and phones are phones. Phones get dropped, they get uh, destroyed, mm-hmm. uh, and people forget or sell their phones. They delete their applications. So if I go ahead and for whatever reason uh, I lose access to that world ID. Mm-hmm. How do I come back and prove that, hey, I actually did this before and I do have a world ID and uh, get uh, regain access to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, good question. Uh, so one of the things that we do on, you know, either in the world app runs on, you know, iOS and Android, kind of as you'd expect. And one of the things we do when, uh, or the app does, when you set it up is, is, is highly encourage you to back up your, you know, back up the application for those very scenarios where you might uh, lose your phone, uh, your phone, you know, you dropped it, you're on a ferry from the East Bay over to San Francisco and you drop it over the, drop it over the rail or something. But, but at any rate, like you said, you lose access to the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, You can, you know, you can go get a new phone, install the world app and restore it from, from your backup um, that kind of, kind of, you know, gets everything put, put back in place for you. Um, now that we don't force you to back it up. Yeah. Um, but again, it's one of those, you know, it's kind of like when you set up a crypto wallet and, um, it's like, Hey, we highly suggest you write down your seed phrase and store it somewhere securely. <laughs> um, yeah. But, and yet we have this situation, right? Where we have yes. got people um, who've got millions of, uh, dollars, uh, locked oh, up right. in mm-hmm. USBs. So, yes, but in, exactly. in, in this particular case, I think it would be even worse, right? Because mm-hmm. now if I've lost that, I will never ever, I will never be able to prove myself because whenever I try to do uh, sign myself up again, uh, uh, it will be seen as a duplicate, correct? Right. 
Um, that is correct. Uh, I will tell you. So, so one of the things I try to do is talk about, you know, what's kind of, um, you know, current capabilities of the product, right? So we give you the the mechanism to do the backup. Um, you know, highly encouraged. But like you said, you know, even with crypto, um, crypto wallets, people like, oh, I'll I'll come back later and write down my seed phrase, <laughs> and they kind of never do, right? Or they password protect a USB and they forgot what the forget password forget the password. Was. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So, um, so I mean it, that that kind of thing you know does happen. Now, I uh, what I can tell you is that we've we've thought about you know this particular case. You know where okay they didn't back it up, or they did back it up, and you know it would back up to like iCloud for example if you're an iOS user, and it's like well I I forgot the password to my iCloud account and I can't recover it and I didn't set up a secondary email so I'm just there's no way I can get to it, but we have given quite a bit of thought to situations like that either a person elected not to back it up or they did back it up and for some reason they just cannot remember the password or they lost access to the iCloud account. And, and I'm an iPhone user, so there, you know, there's the equivalent on the Android side um, as well. So we, we have given some thought and we recognize that as a, you know, as a challenge that we need to, to address. Great. Yeah. I was actually just looking at your white paper online and I do see, you know, there's a complete section about recovery. Right. So yeah, it says that, you know, if, if the world ID has been compromised by a fraudulent actor, uh, individuals can get their world ID reissued by returning to the orb without the need to remember a uh, password or similar information. But I guess in the in the in the recovery roadmap right now, you know, you're at the backup and restore phase and social recovery uh, reissuance or recovery keys that that's still ongoing. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So it is under active development. <laughs> so right. um, we we recognize that as a, we recognize that as a as, as something that you know is definitely needed. Cool. Uh, so moving on. So now, now we have the world ID. It's been uh, verified. What can I do with it? Uh, good question. Um, and you know, we hope you know daily more and more things. So we we um, you know one thing like today, for example, you can um, you can log into Discord with. There's a world ID integration for Discord, so you can essentially. Ensure that everyone you're interacting with on Discord knows you're a unique human, uh, which is kind of one of the the general, I think, use cases, right? Is you can, you know, prove your, let's call it prove your humanity in some kind of online setting, whether that's a, a social media platform, a community space, you know, which is, I, I guess, arguably Discord is social media in a way. I kind of call it a community space because it's typically how it organizes. Um, but you can, you know, prove your unique humanness um, in those settings. Uh, the benefit there to you is, uh, in some cases, a higher level of service. You can get um, qualify for you know a, even a higher tier of free service because you know you're guaranteeing you're not a bot. But specifically today, like you can log in with um, with World ID Discord. Um, we have an integration with Octa's Auth0 Marketplace, and then we've got, as I mentioned, kind of at the outset, uh, we've got this SDK that developers. Um, are using to integrate world ID in some pretty innovative fashions. Like we we're at most of the um, main Ethereum related conferences and we're either hosting or involved in a number of hackathons and, uh, and just the innovation that comes out around that when you give people the tools and, and leave them to their own, uh, you know, creativity. Um, they come up with some really, really interesting um, concepts. So, um, so those are some of the things, you know, today, you can you can use World ID for, and we you know again we see going back to some of the things we discussed early on, you know in in a world that where the influence of you know let's call the influence of AI or, or the prevalence of AI in societal settings you know mostly digital of course become more prevalent it becomes more and more important to distinguish humans from perhaps AIs or bots. Um, and, and we think that's a, a great use case as well. Just, just one follow-up to that, uh, Stephen. So again, looking at this from the top level perspective, right? You talked about how mm -hmm. uh, it can be used for something like the UBI use case or distribution mm -hmm. of other resources. Right. So I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, if, do you think there is a possibility that, you know, somebody can look to purchase the identity of somebody else, you know, by paying them money or something? And mm -hmm. do you think that that could be a problem at some point? 
Um, I do believe that could potentially be a problem. And, and if you kind of, um, I'll, I'll answer it specifically with world, you know, about the WorldCoin kind of protocol in a moment. But if you, if you look at like digital identity or reputational systems in Web3, it's kind of a, a little bit of a common problem, right? Um, so let's take reputational systems for a moment. And reputational systems are, you know, they're based on a variety of things. Um, they could be based on like eigentrust, which is, you know, uh, you trust this person, I trust you, therefore I trust that person in a very, you know, highly complex mathematical model. Um, it could be how uh, active you are in a community. You've been a contributor to the project, you're a developer, you know, you've got some GitHub commits, PRs, et cetera. Um, you voted in governance proposals. So you've established a valuable reputation in a community. And what would prevent someone from selling that reputation to someone who um, who might benefit from it or use it in some nefarious way? So it's it's kind of a common like decentralized identity, you know, decentralized identity reputation. That particular type of challenge is, I think, common to a number of things. Now, WorldCoin specifically, you know, very good question. Um, and I would answer it in, you know, in a similar fashion to, to how I started answering the, the case around recovery as well. It's, it's absolutely something that we have thought of. And, um, and we, you know, we, we consider addressing something like that kind of a, a fundamental primitive of proof of personhood. Um, so we have given it, you know, quite a bit of attention and, and quite a bit of thought. Um, but it, but it is a, you know, it is a, a kind of a, a, a valid challenge to address in some fashion. Um, and speaking of challenges to address, I, 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 as you know, I'm, I'm based in Berlin, Germany. Right. And, uh-huh. uh, here we have this thing, uh, called the right to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, so, uh, we talked about what happens if I lose my uh, phone and uh, I want to sign up again. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also the scenario where, for whatever reason, uh, I decide that, hey, uh, I don't want my identity to be part of the WorldCoin uh, network anymore. Mm-hmm. And out here, basically, what you do there is you just submit it legally. You're supposed to be able to submit a legal form or something saying that, hey, I want to delete my presence. Mm-hmm. And the company is supposed to uh, have a mechanism in place. Mm-hmm. So in this particular scenario, I think it it works because uh, from the perspective of the uh, digital ID- IDs or the uh, the iris IDs and all that, since it is uh, a distributed system but not yet on the blockchain, it's theoretically possible to go and say, hey, okay, I'm going to delete that particular value for you. But what about the world ID itself? That would be uh, on the blockchain now. So mm-hmm. ha- have you guys thought about that particular aspect of it? So it's, it's a great question. Um, and uh, you're right. There's kind of two, you know, it's not really two components, but, you know, as we mentioned, you sign up, you download the app, you kind of sign up, you can put in, if you wanted to, you could say, well, I want, you know, contacts in my network to be able to find me through my phone number, um, kind of like you would commonly do, like a messaging app, perhaps. So you could provide us things like your phone number if you wanted to. It's optional. You don't have to. Um, and there's, of course, you know, we scan your iris and your iris code sent up. And those are, you know, basically housed in a, um, you know, a database, um, not on the blockchain, as we as we talked about. And then, so that's kind of quote distributed, just exactly like you exactly like you described. Um, and then there's the okay, the blockchain side of things, right? So you know, in most domiciles around the world, there is some form of you know data protection guarantees for for people in that, and one of those is right to be forgotten. And um, and you can take the world app and you can go in there and basically say. Well, hey, I'd like to see the data that you have on me, and you can get a copy, and you can also say, I just want you to delete it. You know, I want to be forgotten, and and we can, you know, we we fulfill that request. But blockchain data. So the interesting thing about blockchain, and one of the desirable qualities of blockchain is immutability, right? So I can't go mm-hmm. back and rewrite blockchain history. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of how um, you could take, you know, the first block of the Bitcoin blockchain. And you could scan forward and you could look at all the transactions in every block 
And you as an individual should come up with the exact same balances for, you know, every, it's not really an account, uh, but for every address on the Bitcoin blockchain, because all the data is there and you can't go back to block five in the Bitcoin blockchain and say, I want to, I want to change that data about that one transaction. All right. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess what you could do is you could just go and say, you know, if you delete your wallet, mm-hmm. your access to that key would go away. And then, you know, then it does. it's a moot point whether it's on a blockchain or not, right. because nobody can access it anymore. Yeah, and, and that's the, the other aspect. So we don't have, you know, anything really personal, you know, personal on the blockchain. We have kind of your, your world ID public key to which you, you're the only person that controls the, the private key. And, you know, if you decide I'm, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm going to delete the app, I'll come back to it next year or something, I don't really need it right now, then yes, you're, the, the public key associated with the world ID would, would still be out there. But it's kind of um, no different than, you know, I have a crypto wallet, um, my address is on the blockchain, and i you know, I delete that because I've got four cent worth of Bitcoin left where I transferred it out and that was my change or something. Um, you might not, you might not uh, dig into that, you know, so. You bring up a great point and uh, one that I kind of was thinking about and maybe something we can quickly uh, talk about. So the way I see it, right, the whole biometric stuff uh, is built around the orb and the subsystem around the orb, right? So that's a separate subsystem from the overall protocol. As far as the overall WorldCoin protocol is concerned, all it requires is a verification from this external subsystem that says that, okay, this person, this this particular ID is legit. It's a, it's a human and mm-hmm. you can go and take that to the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I was wondering is that, you know, uh, Coming back to the whole philosophy of, okay, biometrics, because it's a way to get a digitally unique ID mm-hmm. of a person, that's fair. Uh, but why do you need a technical solution to that? You could do web of trust. You could do social uh, verification. You, there, there are plenty of other mm-hmm. ways to kind of conventionally say that hey this person is real right Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean granted it's a little more prosaic and maybe not as sexy as an orb Mm -hmm. uh but don't you think that that would have been an easier solution to this problem uh excellent question um and it would have been you know we went through a process of elimination if you will to determine okay what is the best Let's call it again, just lack of a better term, mechanism we can use to to achieve our overall goal. And you know, going back even a step further, what's that overall goal? To build the world's largest identity financial network that's very inclusive. So we're talking, you know, billion person scale and beyond. Right. So the you know the then you kind of come back to answer your question specifically. What are you know some ways of identifying someone as a person? Well, it could be, you know, social circles, like you said, it could be reputation, like in some cases, the reputational system I described, um, people use that as, well, you've got a really high reputation score and, you know, combine it with government IDs. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things. The the problem with government IDs, it does have personal information, like who you are, where you're from, where you live, date of birth, et cetera. So it, it is a mechanism for sure, right? Yeah, but then you're not giving that mechanism to the blockchain anyway. So you're you're right. You're, you're keeping the personal in, information in that subsystem, right? So mm-hmm. the argument could be made that hey, okay, it's in the subsystem. It's not going to be on the blockchain, so it doesn't yeah matter right whether it's an iris or whether yeah, it's I, an ID, a national ID. You know what I mean? No, it's it, it it's good point you make. Um, again, if you look at like our goal is, is to build a very inclusive uh, identity financial network. The the latest stat I saw is that we had, I said we had. There's roughly 4.4 billion people in the world who lack any kind of form of of valid governmental ID. So if we base something around like you know a digital ID issued by, you know some recognized governmental entity, then we've immediately excluded. Um, you know, 4.4 billion people. That's, that's and fair. that's kind of yeah, yeah, kind of counter to what we wanted to do. 
you know, short of someone having some form of, um, you know, physical condition, you know, Iris gets us to the the scale that we're looking for and to be inclusive regardless of, you know, uh, let's call it privilege or economic status or anything else. So we wanted to make it as available to as many people in the world as we could. Yeah, that's fair. it's a fair point on 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 the national IDs, not maybe including everybody else. But I mean, mm-hmm. if I were to play the devil's advocate out here, then well, the counter argument could be you've been talking about Android apps and iOS apps, and uh, mm-hmm. they run on smartphones, and a lot of the world don't have smartphones. <laughs> so <laughs> that's also yeah, I mean that aspect of it, right? Right. There, there. Yes, it, there's always there's always considerations. Um, one of the things you know that we do is we make sure, and it, and we go to great lengths to make sure that the world app runs on just a variety of different uh, types. So you don't have to have the latest iPhone or Android device to be able to use world app. We purposely um, have designed it and developed it in a way where it will run on just incredibly old versions uh, of the hardware. And I don't have that exact number uh in terms of like you know devices but it is just an incredibly high percentage of devices that are still within even support that we um when i say within support i mean like you know officially through apple or 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 you know an android phone that we would run on um so we've purposely tried to run on extremely old versions of of hardware right cool um so yeah i mean uh, i mean it sounds like that uh you're in the start of uh, a long journey and you're kind of like making great strides, but there's a, there's a way to ways to go as well. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, probably might be, I mean, uh, good to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what do you think is on your roadmap for the next, uh, you know, short term and long term for, for, for WorldCoin and uh, tools for humanity? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, but before we before we move on to that, I actually just kind of looked up. I knew it was an incredibly high number of the um, the, the the phones that we support. So uh, World App actually supports ninety eight percent of of all Androids and ninety four percent of all iPhones uh, in the world. So we go back, you know, extremely far. I wanted to say ninety eight percent, but I'm like, oh my goodness, what if it was seventy eight percent? And I just misread it, so I didn't want to be misquoted. Um, but sure, I mean that's that's an impressive number, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit more information there. And now, you know, in terms of like what's next, um, I mean, you know, we're we're always working on uh, a number of things. That's one reason I really love the project and Tools for Humanity is is just the the challenges and the the research. You know, I call them research frontiers. Um, the project has largely been a research frontier. You know, in and of itself, it's not a me too kind of project. You know, we've um, Innovated, you know, ourselves uh, through a lot of different technical challenges, and we we continue to do that, you know, in in all aspects. I, you know, I think what's you know next for us is kind of focusing on three primary areas. Um, one is like increased access, right? So we're sitting at you know two point four uh, million verified individuals that have been to an orb, and and we want to scale that out as rapidly as we can to serve more people. Like we want to we want to bring access to more people. So increased uh, access, you know, uh, increased scale. Um, I kind of, we discussed some of the the things we've been thinking about and, and working on in terms of, you know, technological enhancements. So we continue to, to work on some of those fundamental things. And then again, I, I would love to come back and chat with you one day about some of the things that are, that are currently in such early stages of research that we, we wouldn't talk about them, but they're super exciting and, and super fun to, to work on. But they're, you know, as you said, we're early and, and we just feel like these are huge advancements that we're working on. And then, and then really, uh, you know, kind of ensuring that the protocol is adopted by, by others like partners and, and integrations, um, creating, you know, alliances with organizations that are, that are aligned with our mission. You know, like hackathons are amazing to me, just seeing the things people come up with um, on their own, given the tools. But just explore integrations that enhance the reach of you know of and, and usability of of Worldcoin. Yeah, I mean, uh, agreed. Uh, in fact, actually, if you solve this, it's kind of like solving a really large piece of the whole crypto puzzle, right? Uh, you're, you're basically 
solving civil attacks here mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of uh, hard crypto issues around identity that you'd be solving if if you've got the whole thing uh, put together so right. i totally appreciate that you have uh, a lot of cutting edge research that you must be doing mm-hmm. uh i mean yeah so uh, it's been uh, it's look at the time it's already almost an hour <laughs> and we've been chatting on and on and uh, i feel i could uh, continue to chat for another hour but right i know uh, you have you have uh, things to do right. and a lot of research to do as well so i'm going to stop here and uh, thank you for your time steven i think it was a great conversation uh, and i'm i'm excited to see where volcoin takes us uh, and hopefully uh, from a technical perspective uh, it it looks like it's going to be exciting times for you guys and uh, before we end steven just one last thing you just want to put out there you know i'll i'll be including the volcoin website in the show notes but if there's anything mm-hmm. you want to tell our audience you know where to find more information or Any other announcements? So uh, please feel free to do so. Uh yeah, well first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity uh to speak with you both. I've I've really enjoyed it. Like I I love these very conversational type discussions. It's it's a very natural natural way to talk about the project. So, you know, I look forward to to hopefully joining you again one day and and talking about uh talking about some additional things about the project. Uh you know, I would say that you know, a great source of information just in general. for anyone that is interested in learning more is you know the kind of the, the primary website is worldcoin.org and from there of course we have linked our our blog posts and we've got some super informative blog posts um some of them go into to great detail about you know it could be about the hardware the orb um how we do um iris recognition going into the details of of some of those models that we run um we talk about the protocol in detail And then we also have uh the white paper that you mentioned when when we were in the conversation. Uh it's at whitepaper.worldcoin.org and it it basically includes, you know, a technical description of of everything um related to the Worldcoin project. So, uh protocol is uh talked about in detail in there and uh that's just a great great source of information if people wanted to uh check that out. So Great. Yeah. Before we end, you know, I just want to reiterate uh Steven really wonderful conversation and uh I think a very interesting time to have had this discussion, you know, at the backdrop of the growth of AI that we're witnessing. Yeah. So, yeah. And and absolutely uh I'd love to have you back uh and maybe we could talk about all those interesting things that you're going to you're going to be revealing over the next few months or years. Right? No, I I I mean just pencil me in and we will uh, <laughs> we'll get we'll get back on a call. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So once again, Steven, thank you for your time and uh, all the best to your team. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. That was Steven Smith from Tools for Humanity. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogs.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.